Our scripture reading this morning comes from John uh, chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. This can be found on page 1662 of your Pew Bible. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are, are looking at the I am statements in, uh, in the Gospel of John. And uh, we looked last week at uh, Jesus' claim to be the bread of life. And this morning, we're looking at, uh, at another claim of Jesus, and quite a claim it is. I am the light of the world. The light of the world. That metaphor of Jesus is, is really timeless. It never grows old. I mean, it's not that difficult to understand what Jesus is saying here. If you don't understand it, all you have to do is, is turn out the light or try to make your way to the bathroom in the middle of the night in your house, right? It quickly becomes clear what Jesus is getting at. Many of you know that I'm a kind of a backyard mechanic, and what that means is that everything I know I've learned from YouTube. And I'm actually a slow learner at that. I can't tell you how many nights I've been out in the driveway about 9 p.m. trying to hold a flashlight in one hand and a, and a wrench in the other. And it's, uh, it's just not enough light. And so a part won't come off because there's one extra bolt that I couldn't see. Or I, I, can't, uh, or I grab the wrong size socket three times because I can't tell the difference between a 12, a 13, or a 14 millimeter socket. I've quit jobs after working futilely for hours only to go back in the light of the morning and finish up in about 10 minutes. Everything is just easier in the light. And that's Jesus' claim here. Jesus is the light that makes sense of everything. He's the light that, that makes everything easier. Think of it this way. All pro athletes are not created equal. There are, there are different tiers of, of pro athletes. Some are rookies, they're just starting out. Some are KG veterans. Some are solid players, and then 
Then you have the All-Stars, right, which uh, we'll be able to see some of them later today. But, but then you also have the Superstars, the cream of the crop, those who just sort of rise above the rest, and we say, we say that they play at a different level altogether. And when you hear them talk, they say things like, like this, at one point the game just slowed down for me. I could see things coming before they actually happened. The curveballs didn't break as sharply. The basket looked like a hula hoop. The defenders were skating in slush. The game just became easy. Superstars play at a, at a different level. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Hank Aaron. It's like they're playing in the daylight when everyone else is playing in the dark. And, and really, that's Jesus' claim in a nutshell. Jesus claims to be the world's enlightenment, the enlightenment of all of life. When you live in His light, He says, life just sort of slows down to where you begin to live at a different level. What money is for becomes clear. Handling our sexuality is, is less of a mystery. The right balance between work and leisure suddenly becomes obvious. How to handle power and privilege becomes elementary. Living life just becomes simpler in the light of Jesus. And so, what I want to look at with you today is Jesus' claim here. And let's, let's look at it a little more closely. I mean, if it, if it is something that enlightens, if He is something that enlightens all of life for us, and let's, let's make sure we get it right. Let's understand what He is saying. So we're going to look at three things this morning. What exactly He's claiming, what Jesus is claiming, and what makes that claim valid. And finally, what makes that claim uniquely valid. Okay? What's the claim? What makes it valid? What makes it uniquely valid? First of all, let's look at exactly what Jesus is claiming. And I think what we want to grasp here, what we need to grasp, is none other than the exclusivity of Jesus' claim. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The light. Not just a light. Not one of many lights, like a star in the sky. Jesus says, I am the light, like the sun. Now, most of the lights that you and I are familiar with are just a light. And it's not that they're worthless. It's not that they don't give any light to us, any wisdom to us, any happiness. But they're like a flashlight under the car. They just aren't enough. Let me try and give you an example of, of a light, okay? If you look at chapter 8, verse 31, um, Jesus says to the Jews who are following him, he says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then look at their answer, their response to Jesus. This is how they respond. They say, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, 
That, that one phrase just sort of jumps out at you, doesn't it? We have never been slaves of anyone. What are you talking about? I mean, what about Egypt? What about Babylon? What about the Romans right now who, to whom you're enslaved? I mean, a better question is, to whom haven't you been slaves? Because you've been slaves for most of your history. But they actually believe this when they say it, don't they? They say, we are free people. Now, why is that? What gives them that feeling of freedom? Well, what they're referring to is that as as descendants of Abraham, as children of Abraham, they're saying that we possess the law of God. And that law, because it comes from God, is truth. And we are the only people in the world who who actually have that truth. And so we see the world, we see life in a different way. And therefore, even though we may be in bondage, we are free. We're more free even than our captors. Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily argue with that, but he does respond this way. He says, but you're forgetting one thing. You're forgetting one master that even the law cannot free you from, and that's sin. Even the children of Abraham, says Jesus, are slaves to sin. And so even the law, as great as it is, as much light as it gives, it's not the light. The law is just a light. The law cannot truly set you free. It can't give you real life, true life, everything you've ever longed for. Jesus says it's a light. Now, in contrast to this, let's look at what Jesus is claiming here for a moment. Look with me at at verse 20, which is the last verse that Amy read for us this morning. And and you might have have heard it and thought, what's going on there? Verse 20, Jesus spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, okay, because his time had not yet come. Now, when you're reading through the Gospel of John, you're going to find all these little all these little comments from John that you think, that doesn't make sense, or why is that there? What's he trying to tell us? And by exploring those a little further, you'll probably be led to a deeper understanding of the text. So let's, let's ask here, what is going on? Why is John surprised that when Jesus stood up in this part of the temple and said, I am the light of the world, why is he surprised that no one grabbed Jesus? Okay, that no one seized him, that no one started slugging him, that no one killed him. Why is John surprised about that? Well, let's establish a little context here. To get our bearings in this text, you have to go all the way back to John 7, verse 37. Because there John says, on the last and greatest day of the feast. Okay, that's where Jesus is speaking. On the last and greatest day of the feast. Now, the feast that John is talking about here is the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles came at the end of the season of harvest, right? And it was a time to celebrate God's provision once again through another year. He'd given them another good harvest. He provided for his people once more. But more than that, the Feast of Tabernacles celebrated the way that God provided for his people throughout their journey through the wilderness, okay? 
And so, if you're familiar at all with this Feast of Tabernacles, you know kind of how they celebrated it. For one, they built little booths or tents, and they would live in those for, for the entire uh, feast, for all seven days. And it was a way to remember that in the wilderness, they had no homes. They lived in tents, and yet God provided for them. And each of the seven days of this feast, they would pour out water in the temple. There would be a, a water ceremony in which they poured out loads and loads of water to remember how God had, through Moses, provided water for them in the desert, right? Remember, Moses hit the rock and water came out of the rock. But then on also, on each of these seven days, in fact, at night, all seven days, huge bowls of oil would be put out in this one part of the temple. They were huge lamps, and they would be lit, okay? And in fact, um, commentators talk about the light that these lamps would provide. It would virtually light up the whole city. I mean, you, you could see it from the whole city, the light that came from this part of the temple. Now, what was that to remind the people of? It was to remind the people of that pillar of fire, that led God's people through the wilderness, out of slavery in Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land, okay? This was the glory cloud that descended on the tabernacle where Moses would meet with God, where the people would see, oh, God is present among us. It was a place that they couldn't get near, they couldn't get too close to or they would be destroyed. Okay, this is the fire, the light that they are trying to commemorate during the Feast of Tabernacles. So the people would light these huge lamps, they would light up the whole city, Okay, but remember what John says. He says this is the last and greatest day of the feast. In other words, this was most likely the eighth day of the feast. Okay, it was the Sabbath day that sort of wrapped everything up. And on this day, no water was poured out. And on this day, no lamps were lit. So instead of having this beautiful bright fire in front of them that the people would dance around all night long in joy and celebration of what God had done for them. Instead of that, they had nothing. They had the same old darkness. And it reminded them of how actually for centuries this pillar of fire had not been present among them. That pillar of fire hadn't been seen to lead them anywhere. That glory cloud had not descended on the temple. People hadn't seen God's glory for centuries. And it was on that day of the feast, when the lamps were no longer lit, that Jesus stood up and he said, I am the light of the world. And John says, it was a wonder that nobody stood up and seized him and beat him because they knew what Jesus was saying. They knew that Jesus was saying that he is the presence of God. See, Jesus was saying here, 
I am greater than the law because I am the giver of the law. I am the one who descended in that cloud of glory. I am the one who gave the law to you. And I am the one who led you according to that law all the way into freedom. Jesus is saying, I am greater than anything you've experienced before because I am the light of the world. Not just a light, the light. That's why it was amazing that no one killed him. And this is why Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. What do you do when the pillar of fire is in front of you leading the way to freedom? What do you do? You follow. You follow. Now, we're going to come back to that, that idea later, that idea of following, but, but we need to pause here just a moment and consider our Jewish friends in this text people who are holding on to a lesser light and as a result they're stuck in slavery because of it one of the things that true light does for us is it exposes our slavery and without the light without the light of the world we are stuck in darkness we are stuck in our slavery and there are lesser lights that we have taken hold of and we have convinced ourselves that these lights, they can give us freedom. They can make us free. Right? We all have those kinds of lights. I think of, I think of the teenager who spends 80% of her time up in her room on social media trying to control what her friends might think of her, trying to win the world's approval. But the world is just too big for her to ever walk away from her computer, at least not for an extended period of time. She's a slave. I think of the man who pays heavy monthly fees to own houses and drive cars and live a lifestyle that gives the appearance that he is carefree. But really... He's a slave. He's a slave to the person who has just a little bigger house, just a little flashier car, a little thicker hair. He's a slave. Or I think of the woman who opts for surgery to change her gender and finally be free only to spend more emotional energy fretting over her new gender than she ever did before. She's a slave. Slaves need light to expose their slavery, and that's what Jesus does for us. Has he done that for you? Has he done that for you? Happiness is a light. Happiness is a good thing. We all prefer to be happy over being sad, right? But if happiness is what you live for, you're a slave. Control. Control is a very good thing. As human beings, we all need some 
measure of control over our lives. We have to control our, our surroundings, our, our atmosphere. We have to have some level of control over our bodies and our boundaries and our future. Without, the, without that little bit of control, we, we go crazy. But we can't control everything, can we? Can't control the weather, can't control the markets, can't control the pestilence that stalks us in the night. You can't control your children, your friends. It'll drive you crazy if you try. Control is just a light. It isn't the light. Wealth. Wealth can be a really good thing. It, it provides us options in life. It, it gives us a measure of stability in life. It provides opportunities, opportunities to look beyond just today, to look to tomorrow and maybe next week. But wealth isn't the light, is it? And if you make it the light, it'll turn you from an owner into a slave as quick as you can blink an eye. Truth is a light. Community is a light. Sex is a light. Family is a light. They're all, all good things, but none of them are the light. And if they're not seen through the lens of, of Jesus, if they're not seen in the light of Jesus, then they just leave us as slaves to sin. So, so first this morning, we just need to acknowledge the exclusivity of Jesus' claim. He is the only light that can give us true life because only Jesus is God. So that's Jesus' claim. Now what makes that claim valid? Well, the Pharisees um, ask that exact question. Right in verse 13, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, here's what they say. Well, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. What they're objecting to here is they're objecting to Jesus on simple legal grounds. In court, you always need two witnesses for a testimony to be valid. Okay? You can't testify to yourself. And this was the law according to the book of Deuteronomy. Look how Jesus responds. Verse 18, he basically says this. Look, when I give testimony to something, it's the testimony of two people. Because when I speak, I speak for two. I and the Father are one. Now, if you've been a Christian for a certain amount of time, what you hear in these verses is Jesus claiming to be God. Jesus is the great I am and you hear his claim to oneness, right? Jesus is one God in two persons. One God. And that's an incredible statement. I don't want to minimize that in any way. <clears throat> but what we sometimes forget is that Jesus is also saying that he is two persons in one God. Okay? There are two persons in one God. In other words, when Jesus claims to be the light of the world, he doesn't make that claim alone. It's not one person speaking. It's two people speaking. 
God the Father also testifies with Jesus to the truth of that claim. God's Spirit, in other words, doubles the impact of Jesus' words. They hit twice as hard. We often refer to this as the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you might, or someone might ask you, how do you know that it's all true, this stuff about Jesus? And you say, well, I just know. Because Jesus is testifying to that fact, and so is the Father. So is the Spirit, right? That, that testimony is doubled. And what it leads to is this incredible amount of assurance and, and comfort for us as believers. We can really believe that Jesus is indeed the light of the world, that His commands and His words will actually lead us to life. Jesus' words, they're not just print on a page. They're not going to disappear like Snapchat. His words are, are truth. They're the truth. They'll never fade away. But, but those words are not just testimony to us as believers, but they also strike unbelievers with an incredible urgency and challenge. You see, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, <clears throat> when you hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world, it hits home, doesn't it? I mean, it, it makes you stop and think, like, is there something more to this man? Is there, is there something that I've been missing? Is there something that I need to pause and, and consider here? And that's because when Jesus speaks those words, the Father echoes them. They hit us in the heart, but then the Spirit comes and we get hit with them again and again. And that double witness not only convinces us that we need to believe, but if we don't believe, it also makes us even more culpable in our unbelief. Listen to Jesus' urgency here in verse 21. He says, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Where I go, you cannot come. Where is Jesus going? Well, he's going to the Father. And he says, but if you persist in your sin... And notice here that, that sin is in the singular. We're talking about the sin of unbelief. If you persist in your unbelief, says Jesus, if you persist in believing or not believing that Jesus is the way to the Father, that you have access to the Father through Christ, if you persist in your unbelief, then where I go, you cannot come. You cannot come to the Father. Jesus is saying something here, friends, that you and I do not hear very often today. Jesus is talking about the inaccessibility of God. The inaccessibility of God. If you come to Jesus, he says, you will find the Father. But there's a flip side of that. If you don't come to Jesus, you won't find the Father. The Father is accessible only through 
Jesus. And that's why Jesus is speaking to us here in these verses. He's speaking to our world today. Because, you know, we've been told, we've been taught that finding God is as easy as as stopping at the strip mall on Highway 100. And if you can't get there today, there's no rush because he'll still be there tomorrow. The God store, we're told, is is always open and, and God himself is easily accessible, right? If we're only sincere, we can find God. If we look deep inside of ourselves, you can find God. If we quiet our souls, we can find God. If we're kind to our neighbors or kind to our pets, we can find God. If we call him by another name, that really doesn't matter. As long as you call him, you will find God. And because we imagine that God is so easily accessible, we dawdle with so many lesser lights. If I'm honest, I'll find God. If I'm good, I'll find God. If I'm moral, I will find God. But Jesus, Jesus says, no, no, you won't. God is not accessible by any other means than the Son, than Christ himself. And that's not the testimony of one. That's the testimony of two. In fact, it's the testimony of three. It needs to be heard. You need to hear the claim that Jesus is the only light of the world. That's the claim. And his claim is valid because it's testified by two. So let's ask the final question. So what makes Jesus' claim uniquely valid? Well, let's look at verses 27 and 28. They did not understand what Jesus was telling them about his Father. And so he said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know I am. Then you will know that I am. How will we know? When he is lifted up. When he is lifted up on the cross. See, the Israelites, they wanted to see that pillar of fire again, didn't they? They wanted to be led by God. They wanted to see that glory cloud among them resting on the tabernacle, knowing that God in all of his fullness was there. He was providing for his people. He was protecting his people just like in the old days. They wanted to see that glory. Well, John says, actually in chapter 12, he says, if you want to see that glory again, if you want to witness the full presence of God, then you look at the cross where Jesus was lifted up. That's where you will see his glory. This is what's unique about Jesus' claim. This is what's unique about his father. Jesus doesn't just show us God. He shows us God on a cross. 
He shows us the unique glory of a God who is actually on our side. A God who so loved the world that that he came himself wrapped in our own flesh to be tacked on a piece of wood that whosoever believes in him might have everlasting life. There is no other God like this. Every other God demands that, that we give something. If you give something, you'll get something. If you give something of value, you'll get something of value. Only the God of Jesus Christ gives himself so that we might get something. The cross is the one unique validation of the one true, only God. So so what does that mean for us? Well, let's, let's go back to Jesus' words. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When the pillar of fire, we said earlier, when the pillar of fire is leading you through the wilderness from captivity to freedom, what do you do? You follow. You trust. You trust that everything you need, he will provide. Everything. But now ask this, where is the pillar of fire heading in the Gospel of John? He's heading to the cross, isn't he? That's where Jesus is going. It's like a funnel, the whole gospel, right to the cross. If you don't go to the cross, you don't go beyond the cross. The way to true life is through death. To live with Christ, first we have to die with Christ. There's only one way to find freedom from sin, and that's to trust Jesus all the way to the cross and to trust that what he does on that cross will provide everything you need to find your freedom. Everything you need so that slay or sin will no longer be your master. You have to trust. You have to trust that the cross is enough. You have to trust that the cross is where you see the true glory of God. There's nothing greater than the cross. That's what following Jesus amounts to, trust. And trusting him all the way to the cross, like I said, means trusting him in everything. That's when he becomes the light of life. That's when he lights up life for you. It's when you trust in him in everything. Jesus is the light. His words are light. The whole gospel is light. And where there is light, the darkness flees, right? The darkness cannot remain. And so what does that mean for us? Well, following Jesus, living in his light means integrity. It means consistency in our lives. It means being the very same person on Monday that you are on Sunday. Some of you are are doing things in the dark, that you are hiding, hiding from your spouse, hiding from your friends, hiding from yourself. Remember, one day the light will reveal everything. Everything. Nothing will remain hidden. 
But, but you and I can already walk in that kind of light if we let Jesus expose the darkness and turn it into light. Let Jesus send the darkness running so that there are no dark places any longer. And following Jesus means also that the glow of the cross will mark you. It's a different kind of light. It's a unique kind of light. The light of Jesus is the glow of the cross and it will shine in everything that you do. You won't fear death because you've already died. And people will see that in you. They'll see it in the way you handle criticism. They'll marvel at the way you treat people who are under you. They'll see it in how you deal with trouble and troubling circumstances. They'll see the light of the cross. And they'll also see it in your courage. Let me just ask a question quickly of the smart people in this room. Okay? How hard is it to be the one who's always raising the curve? I've never been in that position. But I imagine it's kind of difficult, right? Because there's a lot of pressure. Why don't you just get a few wrong once in a while, right? Why don't you not study quite as hard? Or when you're taking the test, just miss a few questions, right? There's a pressure to sort of come down to our level. Well, it takes courage just to be the person that God made you to be in Christ. It takes courage to let the light of Jesus shine. Tim Keller mentions that he knows of a waitress who, who reports all of her tips to the IRS. And she got a lot of pressure from her fellow waitstaff to stop. They're going to start looking at us now. A postal worker was working with too much efficiency. And she got blamed because she was making everyone else look bad. Just stop. Police officer wasn't taking any bribes. And fellow officers started to lean on him. A teenager was talking about Jesus in class. She even said that she believed God created the world. And her friends, her fellow believers, thought she should tone it down. They didn't want to be seen as weirdos. If you follow Jesus, then his light will shine from you. And that light will expose others. There's nothing you can do about it. And you will feel the weight of the cross. The weight of that light. The unique weight of the light of Jesus. And it takes courage to follow that light. To own that light. To walk in that light. But if you've already died with Christ... You keep shining. Once you come to know the light of the world, you can do nothing else. Because you know that this is the light of life.
Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, as you have shined upon us, we pray that in some, some measure we may reflect your light, the glory of the cross to the world around us. You are indeed the light of the world and in you is life. Thank you for giving us that life. And we pray that all eyes may one day see. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.